this is Sean Donovan, and you're listening to the guys at Send Central. The thing probably that it's impressed us the most is probably the work ethic. Whether it's in practices or game, the work ethic for us is off the charts. When we talk about work ethic, we're also seeing a total buy-in from the group, which says a lot about these players. Yeah, that was our first stinker. Yeah, that was a stinker, all right. Um, we got out-competed in the first period, you know, and that doesn't usually happen. That's the one thing we've had since the beginning. Uh, we worked uh, very hard, and even periods that we had trouble, we were still working hard. So I thought that uh, our compete level uh, wasn't there at all in the first period. Welcome to episode 50 of Making Sense of the Sens. I'm Ross Levitan alongside Brandon Piller. What's up, guys? And Chris Parliament. Boys, good to see you. No longer in the TSN studio, at least not today. We're all over Skype with the brand new Yeti microphone. So hopefully the audio is coming in a lot better than the Senators came in to play last night against Arizona. But it's been five games since our last podcast. They had that big comeback win on Saturday night against Montreal. Then they lost the finale of the five-game homestand to Boston. And once they got on the road, the problem became allowing comebacks. They were up 2-0 and I believe 3-1 against Colorado. Then up 2-0 in Vegas, although they probably didn't deserve that. And then just destroyed 5-1 on Tuesday night in Arizona. Boys, I'll start with you, Chris. Was that the worst game of the season? Uh, anytime you let in a goal from the neutral zone, it's right up there. But when you add on everything else, yeah, last night was uh, hopefully rock bottom of what this little skid is going to be. And they can bounce back from that one because, yeah, like I said, anytime things like that are happening, it seems like uh, if it weren't for bad luck, you wouldn't have any at all. And that's exactly what last night seemed like. I just couldn't like those long goals where it's a bouncing puck. And the goalie just whiffs on it. That'll happen. But the Sens were also on a power play. Like, just just twist the knife a little more. I don't know what it is with Condon and the Coyotes. We were talking about last year that embarrassment that uh, the Sens put up against the Coyotes where Declare scored two goals, including the OT winner in embarrassing fashion. And again, they just can't get it done against the Oats. Yeah, Condon actually had a decent game at Arizona last year. He had two goals on 27 shots, but the one you're talking about, it was November 18th, so pretty close to a year ago. It was an overtime yeah. loss, three goals on 28 shots, and it was not a good effort. I, was, I think Duclair, did he have the hat trick that game? I, I know he had at least two. Yeah, I forget if it was the Hattie, but I know he had two, including the winner. Yeah, so just a lackluster effort. What I did like to see is that they didn't fold after the first period, but when you go on Twitter and it's like the Sens account tweets, all right, the game's on, and then that was 11 minutes ago, and then six minutes ago, all right, Coyote score, down one nothing, and then Coyote score again, down 2 nothing, and that's in a 10-minute span. You're like, all right, good thing I had a large coffee at 8 o'clock to, to stay up for the game. Especially when it's the Coyotes. Like, if the, if you're playing, like, uh, the Lightning or who the Coyotes just spanked or a healthy Leafs team or someone with amazing offensive uh, firepower, then okay, down two zip early in the first, that'll happen. But the Yotes? And I, going back to what Ross said, it's easy to stay alive in those games if you're the Sens, though, because you know the coaching staff will be on you. It's 
because they gave up leads in their last three games. Ross, you just alluded to that. So there is that little bit there where a coach can say, hey, you never know what's going to happen. Of course, it didn't end up working out last night, but that's easy as a tactic to keep on the gas pedal and make sure the boys are still going. Yeah, and one of the players who wasn't in last night's game wasn't in the game in Colorado either is Mark Borowiecki, who's suspended for one game for an elbow on a Bruins rookie. I'm not even going to try that finish name. Uh, and then get, serves the one-game suspension in Colorado, comes back against Vegas, and it must have been his first or second shift. Where, And it was kind of a broken play, and I personally think that the first hit was a lot worse than the second one. But I guess you can't touch somebody's head when you're hitting. So thoughts on, uh, on the back-to-back suspensions for Boro, second one being a three-gamer. Well, it's going to get bigger no matter what. Now he's got that reputation. What's interesting for me now is going forward how he's going to change his game if he's going to be that aggressive because we've seen how quickly things can escalate with Tom Wilson this year getting 20 games. So now you're starting to flirt with repeat offender and it's all fresh in the mind. So especially in this season, everyone's going to remember it was back-to-back games, especially Georgie Perro. So anytime you get go- getting up there in numbers... The spotlight's on you brighter and brighter. Now, the first one, I agree, that's bad. The second one, you come back. I, I don't understand why you're making, why you're even attempting something that high again. I think sometimes he, it gets a little bit away from him, and his game is physical, but now he's really got to start reeling it in. But if you watch it on that one angle where it's slowed down on the reverse angle, you can see the shoulder make contact with the head. But on that initial angle, the puck's kind of bouncing, and he picks it up and cuts hard into the ice on his left skate. So he's changing his point of attack, and Boro, who's on, he's on it as a forecheck. He's not going for the hit initially. It's a loose puck, and he sees Buddy cut towards the middle. So instinctively, he's going to lower the boom, and I thought he did a great job of keeping his elbows tucked in, keeping his shoulder down. He's just a bigger man than Cody Eakin, and... If there was an injury on the play, I don't even want to guess what the uh, suspension would have been. Yeah, but again, it's the spotlight's on you. You can do that good job, and we've talked about how good he is at hitting technical on the technical side of things, like you mentioned, keeping his elbows in and everything. But now it doesn't matter as much because he's got that reputation starting to build, and we heard about it in the game against Boston where Brad Marchand kind of jumped and hit a guy who was falling down. I don't remember who it was, but they pointed it out saying, hey, it doesn't matter what you do now. You have that reputation. So even though he was able to keep his elbows down, the benefit of the doubt is just a wash now. Yeah, and it's it's a little unfortunate. I kind of agree with you, Ross, or, or I think both of you said it, that the first suspension, the elbow to that Bruins player, that's just brutal. There's no excuse for that. That's not a hockey play. That's an elbow right to the face in a scrum. Unacceptable. That's suspension worthy. The only thing is the hit on Eakin, that's a hockey play. Like you said, Ross, he's going for the puck. He realized he's not going to get there before Eakin. So he does what Boro does and gets ready for a big hit. And it's just unfortunate that it happened sort of in that sequence because now that hit is going to get him a bigger suspension because he's repeating now. And like you said, Chris, the spotlight's on him. I just hope it doesn't stop Boro or totally tone him back too much from playing that physical game because... He's been touted as the Wayne Gretzky of hitting. We He's led the league in hitting a couple times. I hope it doesn't make him change his game too much. Well, he's not going to be in the NHL long if he changes his game. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely, but 
this is just going to show that the gauntlet's been thrown down and yeah. it's a zero tolerance league when it comes to contact of the head now. Yeah, something the coaches do have the option is dressing six or seven defensemen and Guy Boucher is elected to go the seven defensemen route quite often this season and we know what it means for the forwards. The star players get extra ice time, but for the defensemen, it seems like he's almost scared to play his, his young guys. Well, certain young guys because Lajoie and Shabbat seem to have full range. They're up over 20 minutes every game, but I'm looking at the other end of it. And Christian Wallinen had like three shifts in the first period. Yarosh had under four shifts as well. And it just seems like those players who are, they've come up in every level, maybe Yarosh to a lesser extent than Wallinen in the Swedish Hockey League, playing big minutes. And you want to be engaged in the game. You want to have the opportunity to get back out there and get a regular rotation. So I'm wondering if it's, hindering their ability to to get involved in the game. I saw Willinen look pretty hesitant with the puck in his first game of the season against Arizona, and albeit the whole team didn't really show up in the first period. But if you don't have an opportunity as a young defenseman to get your legs under you, you start thinking a little bit too more much on the bench. It almost seems counterproductive. You're right. The guy doesn't get into the flow of the game and he's missing his regular shift. But that comes down to also protecting the player. And I think that's Guy Boucher maybe trying to get into the line matching a little bit too much, trying to figure out his deep pairing because they're not going to put him out there alone. You're never going to see two younger guys out there. So, And we've seen it with Shabbat playing with Melo and uh, Lajoie playing with CeCe when he's been around. They put him with those players that are going to be a, more, a bit more of a veteran presence. And right now there isn't enough of a veteran presence to go around, I don't think, for the line matching to be there. Yeah, and that's the tough thing. Like Boucher last year, he we often got frustrated with him for not letting the young kids have their chance, not letting uh, Shabbat and all these other kids really have a chance to shine. So he's kind of just playing the hand he's dealt. Like, I mean, if the Sens had, uh, let's be honest, a more formidable uh, back end, these guys wouldn't even be in the NHL, let alone having to be forced to play top minutes, penalty kill, power play, stuff like that. So he's kind of just working with what he's got, and he doesn't want to put too much pressure on guys like uh, Christian Yarosh, uh, Wallinen, and so on. So I think he kind of just got to ride it out and protect them a little bit, at least let them get some more experience before you toss them in the fire. So why is Chris Weidman only getting like five, six defensive minutes. In Vegas, you only played 11 minutes and 50 seconds. Like, what's going on? Yeah, if if anyone's going to step up, I would I would agree. I would think it's Weidman. He's got more uh, NHL games under his belt than most of those guys, and we've liked him, especially for me. I've liked him a lot on that power play unit. Well, even he had the two-goal game earlier this season at home, and he did that in like nine minutes of ice time. Just seems like he's not getting a real opportunity to get out there and play. It goes back to that rotation, and it seems like there's something that Guy Boucher isn't liking in his game, and if he's going to be the guy that doesn't get as many minutes, I mean, if you want to put him on that third line and keep his shifts regular, that's the kind of ice time he's going to see. But with the lack of veteran quality play coming out of the back end right now, it is a, it is a bit odd to see his numbers down that low. You mentioned he has been productive, and he does have that offensive style of play, so even in games that where you're losing to Arizona like you were last night, 
and you need to open things up, you'd expect that number to climb. But I guess Guy Boucher is just sticking with what he thinks is going to work best for his team. And right now, it doesn't seem like Chris Weidman's part of that conversation. No, Weidman's seventh in average ice time among Senators' defensemen. He's averaging 14 minutes and 48 seconds per game. Only ones below him are Willinen and Yarosh, and albeit Willinen just in the one game played. But let's get into that one game he played because we didn't even talk about Mike Condon. Yikes. Yikes. We'll, we brought up the Arizona thing, but this is not just an Arizona Mike Condon debacle. This is a Mike Condon versus the puck problem. And he's got five wins in 33 games since signing a contract that's going to pay him over $4 million in salary next season. I know that the cap hit is, I believe, 2.7, but oh boy, is this a just a, a confidence issue? That was his first start in 22 days. Well, we look at the Sens putting Condon on waivers. I think this is this is kind of a move that the Sens are maybe trying to use as a little bit of leverage, this whole putting players on waivers move. We saw it at the start, before the season started, with Zach Smith. And I hate to say it, it kind of seems like it worked. He came out hot. He's been playing, well, until he got that unfortunate skate uh, to the face injury. He was playing really well. I thought even in the top six role with some of the line mates that he had, he was stepping up, and I was impressed with him. So, you know what? The Sens don't have a lot of options financially, so they're trying to do different things to send messages to their players without shaking it up with trades and stuff like that. Put them down, send them down to the minors, send the message, get them some confidence, whatever needs to happen, a new goalie coach, a new atmosphere, and then hopefully he comes back up and... I think maybe Condon just needs to start more. He needs to get some more starts to get uh, his groove going. Yeah, it certainly doesn't seem like rest is a weapon in the crease. And we <laughs> no. we say that this is a goalie-friendly show, but this is starting to feel like a little bit of deja vu. Uh, guy goes on an incredible run like he did. Kind of reminds you of uh, Andrew Hammond. And then you sign him and you don't know really yeah. what's going to happen. And if a guy's not hot, he loses that edge. Then he starts to come back down to earth, if you will, and... Right now, he's looking like a subpar goaltender in the NHL in a league where you need your backup to come in and play 20 games, and that's a lot of points up for grabs. And if he's only winning 5 of 33, that's not going to get you where you need to be in the NHL. And unfortunately, he's in a situation where it looks like he has to be sticking around. So if this is all you can do is put him on waivers, I guess that's the only shot you have to take. It's worth noting that Belleville's playing in Laval tonight. We're recording on Wednesday, October 31st. Mike McKenna was scheduled to start. Even Joel Vanderlyn, Belleville's, Belleville Senators reporter, tweeted that out. And now it's since come out that Philip Gustafson will be getting yep. the start. So you got to think that as though it's similar to Zach Smith and that they're both put on waivers, it looks likely that Condon will be heading to Belleville should he clear waivers. We'll find that out Thursday at noon i want to talk about a forward a young one and not brady kachuk who has skated now uh, for the first time since his ligament tear in his leg i want to talk about alex formanton who scored his first goal last night he was the only central standout and it was his first goal first point in the national hockey league he's played eight games this season we know that once he plays 10 there's a year burned off his entry-level contract should he stay should he go that's the main question and it wasn't just that goal last night. Eh? Like he, he was flying. He was using his speed, the McDavid-esque speed. So, Pilsy, what would you do with Alex Formanton? Look, I've really liked... There's, there's something exciting about speed. Everybody loves speed, no matter what 
part of life it is, especially he in sh- hockey. He should have had a penalty shot last night. Exactly. That that was absolutely ridiculous that uh, Marsha Show got the uh, penalty penalty shot in overtime. And then Formentin doesn't get the penalty shot called there. That's absolutely ridiculous. But he's got the speed and he's showing he can use it to burst by NHL caliber defensemen with ease. But I don't think his game is fully complete le- complete yet. So I think it'd be great if, you know what, don't burn that year. What's the rush? The Sens, the Sens aren't really pushing too much this year. You don't want to waste that year. Send him down to junior. Have him work on a complete game. Bring him back next year. And I think he's NHL ready next year for sure. There's the old adage in baseball that speed doesn't slump. And that's the same thing in hockey. You're going to create chances no matter what if you're fleet of foot. But I agree completely. If he's sent back down to junior, he's got the chance to play on the top power play unit once yep. again manage his puck skills, he's going to be able to play defensively, and that's going back to a very good London team who's already got Liam Foodie, so we'll be playing on his line, former first-round pick, and Adam Bockfist, who's nasty. So if you want to talk about time on the power play, those are two pretty big studs that he's going to be playing alongside. And with Brady Kachuk back on the ice now, you already see that fill-in spot. So it's almost like Brady Kachuk's nipping at his heels, and he's got to prove something he did get the goal, so he's got something to hang his hat on going back to junior, but I agree. He should be back with the London Knights by, what, the end of the week it would be? So La- Last night was his highest total ice time in an NHL game. He played 13.56, and he knows that it's decision time. Next game, home against Buffalo. He'll play game number nine, and I'll go the other way. I think they should keep him, and... Basically, for what you said, the fact that speed doesn't slump and Formanton's not the kind of player who is going to be stuck on a fourth line. He'll get opportunities, I think, still. He's been on that third line mostly, left-wing spot, and maybe uh, it's probably a while until Pajot's back, but even still, if Smitty's back in the next month or so, and you because I want him playing with a veteran centerman. So between him and Tierney's been playing with him, so... If they could maybe keep that connection, Bobby Ryan's had points in a couple straight games, although he's, we all know, pretty useless away from the puck. Um, I think that he should stay, but be given the opportunity to go represent Canada at the World Juniors. I think he'll show his offensive flair there. And I know people think, look, they ruined Lazar. Lazar never had the speed of Alex Formanton. Not, not even close. close. So throw that comparison right out the window. So you don't care about burning a year? No, not at all, because I don't think that he's the kind of player that's going to be making $5 million out of his entry-level deal. I sure. think it's going to take him a little longer to reach his potential, maybe like a Colin White. Like Colin White, they burned a year off of his deal by signing him, and he only played two games, and then maybe two in the playoffs, maybe two minutes in the playoffs. He sat on the bench for a couple of games, but um, nobody's talking about how they burned a year off because, hey, Colin White's finding his feet this year. So they're almost saving money on that next contract because they burned a year. If he had an extra year, Colin White, he's finally looking like he's an NHL player. So in that case, burning a year didn't hurt. And I think in this case, it won't hurt either. I just have one thing to throw back at you there on the Alex Formington conversation. Just kind of put it to rest. He shocked us at Dev Camp with his um, improvement since last season and since we last saw him when we were there this year. So another year of improvement. 
you'd think would add to more of what he was able to bring this year. And he's already got that one tool. You want to be able to accent with some others. You don't want to pigeonhole him as just a speed guy. Mm-hmm. So let him go back to junior and develop other parts of his game and hopefully he can add one, maybe two more tools to that and come back and be a useful, productive, everyday NHLer in this his sucks second he can't in play in the AHL. Because I want to see him I want to see him get pushed around a little bit. Like I think that Philly game, I know getting a caution's never good, but I think the fact that he was engaged physically, because he's he started it in the sense that he threw a pretty good hit right in front of the Flyers bench. Yeah. And that shows that he's not scared of playing against men and having to answer the bell because he was kind of pushing and shoving. And we know he looks, he's got the face of a, a 14, 15 year old. Like he's got a lot of room to grow, but I want to see him doing that against men. And I, the fact that he could, he played a game for Belleville at the end of last year, but then would have to go back to junior this year. Like that, that whole yeah. thing throws me in a loop and usually prairie fire throws me in a loop as well. So uh, we were able to pre-record, but on Skype. So we do have Brendan Purdy, for some prairie fire. Prairie fire. Prairie fire. What is prairie fire? This is pea fire, not the pre-fire. This is the raw and uncut prairie fire from Toronto, Woodstock, and Saskatoon. And guys, it is good to be back. It's nice that I can actually defend myself when you guys start getting all relentless on me. So... It is a beautiful thing. Great time to be alive. Not a great time to be Mike Condon, but a great time to be alive. So, boys, we're going to talk about the injury bug. The Ottawa Senators have had their fair share to deal with, but there have been a couple of big ones around the league recently. Which injury of these three has been the the biggest and the most effective to their team? I'm going to start with Chris Parliament on this one. The three options I'm giving you boys today, Jonathan Quick in L.A., Pecorine in Nashville, and of course, Austin Matthews in Toronto. Well, I think the easy answer is Austin Matthews in Toronto because he's your number one guy, and it's pretty much impossible to replace a 1C even when you have John Tavares. Like Guy Boucher said last year, it's not the top lines that get hurt because your second-line guys can always fill in. It's those third and fourth lines where everybody has to step up and play another position and have more responsibility. So those are the positions that really get hurt. Obviously, you lose your starter, like in L.A. and in Nashville. That's going to hurt. But they do have some quality players behind them. I think Austin Matthews, because of what it does to the back end of their depth, more so than the front. Well, Nashville, Nashville of... can easily get by without Rene. He was just activated today, so he's on his way back. But UC Saros, one of the best backups in the league, and with Rene in the last year of his deal, you can expect Saros being the starter going forward. LA is in a bit of a tougher spot, older team. Maybe he needs to rely on their goalie a bit more. And uh, yeah, I don't know if Quick's the kind of guy you're going to see getting 60 or more starts anymore at this point in his career. Well, it's a really interesting take that you had, Parley, just considering that Nazem Kadri, who is the third-line center, has been so used to playing that second-line role. Obviously, his production has substantially dropped off this year, so it'll be really interesting to see uh, if he can end up filling that void for the Leafs for the next couple of weeks. Well, even without uh, the injury to Austin Matthews, they'd only scored one and no goals in three of their last four games, so the offense was already kind of hitting a lull, so we'll see how they can battle through that, but screw the Leafs. Scoring's been a scoring has been troublesome for the Leafs at home, but you know what? It's been real quiet in my upper right quadrant there. Brandon Pillar, you want to weigh in on this one? Ah, uh, well, I think you guys pretty much covered it all. I mean, the quick injury was tough for the Kings. I mean, they're sitting pretty brutal right now. They're one of the worst teams in the NHL, and there's even talks about Stevens being on the hot seat. But 
show me a good coach and I'll, or show me a good goalie and I'll show you a good coach. So maybe that's a bit of the situation there. <laughs> Always insightful, Pilsy. This uh, next one, because you kind of got short change on the first one, I'm going to kick off to you. And this is one of my favorite arguments in hockey. And it's one of the ones that comes up most often, regardless if you're sitting around with guys who are, really know the game or just some random guys that are sitting on a bar stool that catch the occasional Hockey Night in Canada game. And that is, what is the best current line in hockey there's there's the two obvious ones that everybody is always bantering back and forth about of course i'm looking in colorado nathan mckinnon miko ratnan gabe laniscog or david Pasternak, brad marchand patrice bergeron and boys if you want vote in tell me i'm wrong and vote in vote in a number three but pillar let's start with you well i'm gonna take the easy one it's definitely the line in colorado i mean the numbers don't lie. Miko Rantanen is first in the NHL with 21 points in 12 games played. Got him in my fantasy league. Not a big deal. And then you get look down the list. Fifth, Nathan McKinnon. He's right behind him with 18 points. And then Landis Cog's got 16. So you got that whole line is in the top 10 in points right now. This Avalanche team is looking like a wagon. Well, and... Sens fans saw it firsthand. Rantanen with four points against Ottawa on Friday night and talked about it earlier on. The other two had three each, but I'm going to go a bit off the board. Of course, those are the top two lines. So, Purdy, I'm going to kind of manipulate your question into who's the third best line in hockey. And it's, down it. in, it's down in Carolina. And wow. Sebastian Ajo is not going to be a star anymore. He, he is a star in the NHL. He's leading the league in lots of categories. And how about Michael Furlan? Kind of a throw-in piece in that Hannafin-Hamilton uh, trade in the summertime. But he's off to a great start. And Tavo Teravainen completing that line. Big reason for Carolina's early season success. Ex-Saskatoon Blade, not a big deal. And... Maybe we shouldn't think of Michael Furlan as a throw-in piece anymore because if you watched any Calgary games for the last couple seasons, if Monahan and Goudreau needed to get going, he was the guy they threw on that line. He can keep up with his feet. He's tenacious around the net. I know that's a big word, but uh, it's a big-time player too, Michael Furlan. He's getting it done. So that's a bit of a savvy pick there, Ross. I don't know if I agree with you at number three. And to get back to the original question. And Aho, just before we get off of Aho. 12-game point streak right now, tying oh. Ronnie Francis for most in franchise history. Red hot. And Wayne Gretzky for the uh, most points to start a season off, I do believe. Yep. He's due for a contract this summer, by the way. Man, there's contract to your players every year. But Parley, uh, back to the original question, pal. Oh, yeah. Sorry. It was. De- I think it's definitely Boston because they can get it done in every end. And the way they spread the ISO is absolutely ridiculous. It seems like they're behind their goal line and then on the opposite side of the ice on your blue line in a hurry. So I think that line is the most consistent and they'll get it done all over the ice, all three zones, 200 foot game. I, I would have to say that I'm, uh, I, I'm more likely to, to agree with you there, Chris. Like, yes, uh, that first, that top line in Colorado, Pilsy is absolutely electric. But like Chris said, that Boston line with Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand, and David Pasternak, they are a 200-foot threat. They're going to stop a goal in their own end and then wheel through the neutral zone, set up in the O zone, and create and score, which is what makes them such a deadly force. Now, guys, finally, as per all Prairie Fires, you know I love fun. You know I like to have a little bit of fun. And uh, 
this one is is definitely all about the fun down in uh, down in the smoked meat capital of the United States, and I don't mean any disrespect to Texas, but of course I'm talking Carolina boys. So, what has been the most surprising thing that you've seen out of Carolina so far this season? Is it something that we've already alluded to a bit earlier? Is it Michael Furlan's sustained production uh, away from the Gaudreaux's and Monahans of the NHL? Is it the attendance? Is it the fact that they're Carolina is putting butts in the seats this year? Probably due to the production they're getting on ice. Or has it been their wild celebrations to end the games? Which, by the way, are getting the okay from Justin Williams and Rod Brendamore? I think Rod Brendamore is a huge part of it. And I think the biggest surprise for me is how quickly his team's bought into a system. I know he was an assistant coach before, so he's not a new face in that locker room. But for a guy to take the reins right away and have instant success all over the ice too, his D-men are getting it going. Everyone's playing the system well, and they're putting up points. You knew when he was coming in that they were going to do the little things right. They were going to win draws. They were going to play well defensively. They were going to be a tougher team. So you saw guys like Michael Furlan having success, but having this much success early on all over the ice. And like we said, it's the skill guys getting it done. Ross Little on their lineup in the third best in the league. I think it's the biggest surprise is how well they're buying into that brand new system right away. Yeah, well, they've been playing really well, and that's why the fans have been showing up. But I like this new style. That celebration is, you know what, say what you want about it, but hockey's been too too tight, too too conservative for too long. Why not have a little fun at the end of the game? And did you guys see Dougie Hamilton flossing there? How does he have time <laughs> to learn how does he have time to learn those dance moves when he's at all those museums? I don't know. <laughs> Purdy, I love you, buddy, but uh, the Carolina Hurricanes have the second fewest people attending their games so far this season through seven games. Uh, they're averaging just under 13,000, uh, yeah. just, be- just better than the New York Islanders. At Have 10, you looked 000. at, but when you look at their games, uh, when you're watching games at PNC compared to the last three or four seasons, there are a substantial, like the, go look at their average over the last few years. And there's a, a substantial increase of butts in the seats in Carolina. Well, it's got to get better then because that's still not a very good uh, good place to be. They're working but on it. The I'll product tell you this on much. the ice. They haven't great. had to change their seat colors from red to black. I'll put it that way. Well, but by the sounds of it, you say it's looking full. Like, do they have a tarp over the 300s? <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a good strategy. <laughs> yeah, it works so well. All right, boys. Well, as always, it's a pleasure to be back, especially now that I'm here and can defend myself against the tyranny that is Ross Levitan. Uh, we thought that you were on your way down to Carolina to put another butt in the seat. <laughs> no, actually, tonight I'm going to be heading out to uh, to Humboldt to catch a little SJHL action, the Humboldt Broncos and the LaRange Ice Wolves. Uh, Humboldt having a great season so far. They're 11-5, and five, second in their division. So nice. it should be, a great, should be a great game tonight. That's awesome. Have fun. All right, boys. Cheers. It's good to be back. Take care. Hope you enjoyed another dazzling edition of Prairie Fire. That was Brendan Purdy, and we'll have him back next time. Prospects are always fun. We love having the boys on. We've had a couple, and we're hoping to get a few more, but especially in a rebuild, there's nothing more exciting than knowing what the prospects are doing. The Sens are great. They put out the prospect report, so we like to pick out a couple that we'll share with you, and we may as well start with our friends of the show, right, Pilsy? Yeah, for sure, and 
Hey, call it a bit of a send central bump. I mean, he has started the season with back-to-back shutouts. Tough to get much better than that, but he stayed hot. I'm talking about Joey Decord. We had him on a couple episodes ago. A lot. That was a really fun interview for Ross and I talking to another attendee. And his last game recorded a season-high 43 saves in a 6-3 win. Like, this guy, the more pucks thrown at him, the better. Keep him coming. He's not worried about anything. And I'll say it again. Those Sun Devils uniforms are fire. I think that the Sun Devils are like the story of college hockey this year. Not only like, yeah. I don't know if you guys know, but Mario Lemieux's kid plays on the team. So Biz was talking on Spit and Chicklets. He went to a game and there's Mario Lemieux at the glass. So like, just imagine being a kid coming into Arizona State. You're like, oh, this is a joke. These guys, like, they're just a bunch of kids coming into the rink with shorts and flip-flops on. They don't care. And yeah. then you look and one of the greatest players in NHL history is there. And you're like, oh, my God, what's Mario doing there? And you look on the ice, and on the back of those nasty uniforms, Lemieux. Like, oh, boy, there's there's some intimidation factor. We we mentioned Joey Decord, one of his best buddies on the team, Johnny Walker. Yeah. Top scorer in college hockey. He was named college hockey's player of the, of the week. So this team, they just got a vote for the rankings, their first ever vote for the national top 25. They're not ranked yet but they're on the right track and it's going to be awesome following the progress of not only Joey, but the uh, Sun Devils themselves. Sun Devils are hot. Hey, show me a good goalie. I'll show you a good program. Isn't that the old (laughs) saying, Pilsy? Exactly. (laughs) He is very hot to start the season. We have Johnny Gruden on the show as well. He's had eight games played so far. He's put up three points. So, He's playing for Miami of Ohio, of course, the only true freshman on the team. He was talking about what he wants to do this season is get bigger and add to his release. He hasn't been able to find the score sheet yet, but you can see that this is a guy who's dedicated to getting better. If he's able to get better in the offensive side of the game, we already know he's able to do it defensively and in the faceoff dot. So once he starts getting that shot to where he wants it to be, I can see him putting up some bigger goals, and we have some more points to be talked about from Johnny Gruden in Miami of Ohio. Yeah, in Miami of Ohio, they've got a pretty good team so far. I'm just looking at their individual stats, and uh, they've got a a few guys who are hovering around a point a game. I think they've got an opportunity to win some games this year, and that could be enough as a true freshman to just... They're 6-2 and two overall right now. They're on a three-game win streak. So if they can play some big games, maybe make it into the Frozen Four, that's invaluable experience for Johnny Gruden. And uh, he may be on the radar as well for U.S. at the World Juniors. So it'd be awesome to see uh, if he gets an opportunity. Well, we know that Josh Norris is going to have an opportunity to not only make that team, but have a huge impact. And we love the start he's had to this season. Obviously, how nasty the little Superman Sally at, at home. Um, so he's gotten off to a great start as well. Uh, you want to read us through his numbers there, Parles? Yeah, there's not much that you can do to make those Michigan uniforms look better, but he's doing it right now. He leads the Wolverines in points. He's up to a five-game point streak. He had a goal and an assist against St. Lawrence. This guy is rock solid so far through five games played he's got five points he's got three sorry eight points with three goals and five assists and you can tell he's playing with confidence and you want to talk about invaluable experiences he's playing with the best player in the country in Quinn Hughes and he's looking just as good every step of the way so this is a big time 
comeback piece. We all talked about Rudolph Balsers in the trade. Look out for Josh Norris. Yeah, and Josh Norris is probably fired up too because his Michigan, they're going to play Notre Dame outdoors on January 5th at Notre Dame Stadium. So that'll be something to keep our eye on. Uh, Now that I'm mentioning it out loud, that might coincide with the World Juniors. So I don't know if he'll actually be there for that game, but... Uh, still interesting nonetheless. So you mentioned Balsers, and he's been a little cooled down in the last couple of games. We've been in Belleville quite a bit, and we actually uh, didn't do the 401 West because we were just that gassed. It was six yeah. times in 10 days um, and kind of came out 500, eh, Pilsy? Like the, I, I think when they played well, they really did. In tough on the, the second Wednesday because Corey Schneider was on his conditioning stint in Belleville. But then against Philip Zadina a couple times uh, on the weekend. They split that series. Before we get into all the Belleville talk, let's uh, talk Rudolph Balsers, and he's getting an opportunity with Drake and Nick Paul in the top line, and they've been dominant. Yeah, that line, you can't say enough about it. Like We talked about some of the best lines in the NHL. I wouldn't doubt it if they're one of the best lines in the AHL. The speed, the skill, and the talent on that line – I've said it before. I'm, I'm a big fan of Rudolph's Balsers, and every every night, pretty much, he he shows himself again. And it's pretty rare to have one of those nights where you don't notice him. He's if he's not touching the puck, I've found he's good off the puck too. Like he's a good net front presence, and him and Batherson has really clicked. Speaking of which, they're the top two point uh, points guys on the Belleville Senators. Batherson with 11 in nine games, and Balsers with eight points in nine games. So. I think that's a great connection, and I'm excited to see Rudolph Balsters for the rest of the season. And it feels like we've been talking about Nick Paul and the Sen system for years. This guy's only 23 years old, and he's six foot three, 220. So you're still working. You're, that's a pro-ready frame. And he's starting to show an offensive side as well. And like, looks like it might be a slow burn for Nick Paul, but right now that flame's getting brighter. Yeah, and there's a lot of home-and-home or back-to-backs against the same teams coming up. So we mentioned they're in Laval Halloween night. Then Friday and Saturday this week, we're not going to Belleville because the team is in Syracuse for back-to-back games against the Comets? No, Syracuse Crunch. Crunch. There you go. That's the Tampa Bay's farm team. And then two at home the next weekend, hosting the Toronto Marlies. And then Toronto comes back to Belleville. The next Friday, they do have a game in between, but that's three home games against the Marlies in six days. So that'll be uh, pretty fun to keep an eye on, of course, with all the injuries at both levels. Yeah, they've been in tough. Like, not having Schlappick, not having Logan Brown, and not having Jim O'Brien. And then you look at the back end, Hogberg. Andrew Sturtz, I was kind of excited to see his development as well, but um, he's still out with injury. Um, word is though that Logan Brown's been fitted for a boot and they're hoping by December 1st, he'll be ready to play. So that's tough in his first pro year that he hasn't been able to, uh, really remain healthy, but, uh, we have seen some of the veterans play well. Of course, Jack Rodewall, we never really mentioned he hasn't played, but he's been called up to Ottawa just as a, an insurance piece right now. So, um, there is some excitement in the system with the top line. And as with the AHL, typically guys come and go pretty often. All right. So we talked about Belleville's upcoming schedule, but let's get back to the big club. The Ottawa Senators are back home to play Buffalo on Thursday, November 1st. And then they go to Buffalo 
We're going to tweet out on the account. We know we mentioned last podcast when we were talking about Ray Emery, that Buffalo brawl, the rematch, the Andrew Peters, Brian McGratton fright where McGratton is just a complete animal. And there's a couple interviews in the the clip as well. So we'll get that on Twitter at send central. Follow us there if you don't already, but home and home Buffalo, Ottawa, of course, it's going to be some uh, fireworks. At least we hope. And then afterwards, the team will be on a three-game homestand. They start with a back-to-back, so it goes Buffalo, then home to Tampa, and then they play New Jersey on the Tuesday. Vegas, again, comes in on Thursday, and then Saturday, Sunday in Florida. So it's a very, very busy... What did I just say there? A very busy schedule coming up, and six games in 11 days. You're going to need both goalies, so it'll be really interesting to see what they do with that looming situation it's episode 50 boys that's pretty big accomplishment i'd say in three locations finally our first one kind of starting fresh turning over a new leaf at 50th uh what's been the most fun for you this podcast has taken off a lot longer than we thought it was going to we kind of were doing it for fun and then we started getting interviews we started really gaining some traction for me i was a big fan of marcus hogberg last season and when i finally got a chance to see him play with the Brampton Beast in the East Coast League and then got to interview him after. That was pretty cool. That's when I finally like felt things like connecting and we're really gaining some traction and uh, starting to provide some good Sens info for the fans. I love that we've been able to bring kind of the Sens Twitter conversation together in some ways, connecting with Sens prospects and bringing yep. guys that aren't guys you'd normally hear from, whether it be on TSN or in interviews in other ways. I mean, you can always find content like that, but bringing Henry from Sense Prospects on, that was a lot of fun. Just all the different voices we've been able to bring into the pod. It's been uh, pretty cool. Yeah, I respect all that. And I was going to say Drake Batherson because just the way it all worked out with OLP and on Twitter, I thought that was great. But I'm going to go back to all the way to episode 17 which was the one we recorded right after the Senators pushed the defending champs to Game 7 in the Eastern Conference Final. That was the Hoffman Game yeah. 6 goal. And just the excitement and knowing that it was it was going to be Cup Final or bust. And of course, Game 7 played out the way it did. But getting into that talk and that podcast, the feeling going in was definitely number one for me. Yeah, if that podcast, that particular one has 600 listens, I might be 300 of them. That was a good pod for sure. <laughs> yeah, can't beat that. And it's kind of it's kind of been interesting, the fact that we've covered basically the high of Game 6 to the low of yeah. trading Eric Carlson. It just seems like uh, we've, we've seen it all in, in such a short period of time, just 50 episodes down, but now with the microphones, and now once we figure out how to cut and post this, we're going to have some fun, boys. So 50 in the books. Looking forward to the next 50 while we can still bring you former Senators that wear the number. And if you want to look it up, who wore 50, there's one player, and we're not going to mention his name on this podcast because we got respect for Clarkie. But, boys, it's been fun chatting. Episode 50 in the books. It's making sense of the Sens. You can follow us on Twitter. Always love interacting with you guys, so follow us there, and we'll chat then after. Looks like a busy week ahead. Go Sens, go! Go Sens, go!